following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. The sermon this morning is the conclusion of a sermon series entitled Life in Christ. Let's be for a moment in the spirit of prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Near the end of his public ministry, Jesus told a parable which decisively portrayed the whole story of God's saving activity and humanity's response up to that moment. It is now typically called the parable of the wicked servants or wicked tenants. It's, it's perhaps one of the least known of Jesus' parables, probably because there's some unsavory behavior in the storyline and people don't find it all that endearing. But it's notable that while some of the most popular parables, such as the parable of the Good Samaritan or the parable of the, the prodigal son, appear just once in the Gospels, this parable of the wicked tenants appears three times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This indicates that the gospel writers saw this parable as describing something especially important about God and our relationship to God. In the parable, a man plants a vineyard and puts a lot of work into it. He even includes a wine press in the vineyard and a watchtower, the watchtower being a feature to enable observation of the whole vineyard and to provide protection against thieves. The man then leaves, leases the vineyard to a group of tenants while he departs for another place. The tenants would have agreed to pay a certain portion of their produce in rent for the land. Later, after the vineyard has produced grapes so that the tenants have something with which to pay, the landowner attempts to collect the rent. He sends a servant to do so. And of course, the original hearers of the parable would have expected these tenants would now fulfill their moral obligation and would give the fruit of the vineyard that they had agreed to pay. But the tenants seized the servant, beat him, and sent him away. The landowner sends another servant. The tenants beat him up also and add insults to boot. The landowner sends another servant. The tenants kill him. These people have no scruples. The landowner keeps sending servants, and the tenants treat them all violently. At this point, the original hearers of the parable would have been struck by the fact that this landowner is not acting like the typical ancient Near Eastern landowner. Generally speaking, if tenants refused to pay the rent and offended the landowner by mistreating his emissaries, the landowner very quickly would come in with an armed force and would deal with them all with great vengeance. But this landowner shows extraordinary patience. He keeps sending these servants, appealing to the tenants, continually giving the tenants the opportunity to do what is right. Of course, this, this ends up being very hard on the servants. So finally, the landowner sends his own son with extraordinary risk, he reaches out in a very direct and personal way to the tenants. But the tenants say, this is the heir, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. 
The parable thus describes the history of the human race and specifically the history of the people of Israel up to this point. The imagery of the parable was drawn directly out of the Old Testament from the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah had said, my beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. In a broad sense, the vineyard represents the realm of God's activity on earth. The care with which the vineyard owner establishes the vineyard and sets it up with all that it needs represents the creative activity of God and the abundant blessings that God graciously bestows upon people. The expectation of the vineyard owner is that the vineyard now will yield something good, specifically that it will produce grapes. We saw exactly this kind of imagery last week in the teaching of Jesus, where Jesus set forth the idea that God has placed us on this earth in order that we might bear fruit, that is, that we might share in positive ways in the purposes of God. But of the vineyard in Isaiah, the prophet says, it yielded rotten grapes. We see this all the time today in the rotten things that people do. Jesus follows Isaiah with a similar kind of storyline in his parable, but with yet greater clarity. The idea in the parable that the workers in the vineyard are tenants represents our situation on earth, that we do, we do not really own anything. We are making temporary use of a wonderful world that really belongs to God. The idea that the workers should render to the owner of the vineyard a portion of what they produce represents the biblical idea that we should each give to God a percentage of what we earn each year in our tithes and that in all that we do on this earth, we should be giving something back to God. But the action of the tenants in the parable, that they disdain the owner of the vineyard and attempt to seize the whole place for themselves, represents how people so often live, that they spurn God, turn to evil, and to grab all that they can for themselves. We are seeing an extreme example of that kind of behavior today in what Russian leaders are doing in Ukraine as they are brutally grabbing after land that they do not rightfully own. But the parable in this respect is actually depicting a general pattern in human life. In many ways, People imagine that they themselves can be the lords of God's vineyard. People become consumed with self-centered grasping, forgetting that they are only short-term tenants here. In the face of such foolishness, the master of the vineyard sends emissaries to the servants, to the tenants, that is, trying to convince them to turn to what is right. The ways of the master's servants represent the many prophets sent by God throughout the centuries who called people to turn to God's ways. But of course, the prophets were routinely rejected. Some were beaten and some killed as depicted in the parable. Finally, the owner of the vineyard sends his beloved son, a clear image for Jesus. Jesus is the culmination of God's outreach to humanity but the beloved son is killed. 
It is striking that Jesus told this parable shortly before his crucifixion. He knew exactly how the story would go. The parable concludes with a word of judgment. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. In its immediate context, the parable was told by Jesus in the presence of temple leaders in Jerusalem, as well as in the broader hearing of common people in the crowd. Apart from the section about the son being killed, which at the moment might have seemed obscure, the overall message of the parable was clear to everyone. It was saying that Israel had failed to bear fruit for God, and the vineyard now was going to be given to others, which is exactly what would happen when the apostles, rather than the temple priests, were entrusted with God's message to the world, and when Gentiles, along with Jewish Christians, became part of the growing church. Matthew, when recounting this parable, reports that when the chief priests and Pharisees heard Jesus' parable, they realized he was speaking about them. The temple leaders were the ones most responsible for Israel's failure to be faithful, and they perceived plainly that Jesus was saying that the vineyard was going to be taken away from them. Their response was to be angry and vengeful. As Matthew went on to say, they wanted to arrest Jesus, but feared the crowds. Of course, the temple leaders would finally fulfill the storyline of the parable quite literally, as they would be the ones to bring Jesus to death. But the broader numbers of people in the crowd that day also perceived that the, ten the tenants in the parable represented more than just the temple leaders. The tenants really represented everyone in Israel, for they had all been trust entrusted by God with God's gifts. They were all called to live as God's people. They were all workers in the vineyard. And they each knew deep down that they had not fully rendered to God what they should. They had often ignored God's outreach to them. So the Gospel of Luke reports that when Jesus said that the vineyard now would be taken away from the original tenants and given to others, the crowd responded by shouting, heaven forbid. The people responded not with anger like the temple leaders, but with regret and concern. The parable here is a warning that if we do not fulfill God's calling, God will find other workers for the vineyard. The Methodist movement is itself a historical example of that. In the 1700s in England, the Church of England was not fulfilling its calling to reach common people with the gospel and to take a stand in that society for righteousness. So God called John Wesley and others to lead a new movement of spiritual renewal, which ultimately became the Methodist Church. In every age, the parable is a summons to not take God's vineyard for granted, but to keep our focus on the call to serve God in this world. The parable ends on a very sober note. Jesus, however, does not leave the ending there, but follows the parable immediately with a quotation from Psalm 118. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. With this verse, Jesus turns the whole message in a positive direction, declaring that even when people reject God's saving work, God is not done 
The stone that the people rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. In Jesus' day, people may have rejected Jesus and they finally killed Jesus, but God raised Jesus from the dead and Jesus became the cornerstone of God's far greater plan for the salvation of all humanity. The overall message of the parable thus becomes a very encouraging one as it declares that even though human beings may at times forget God or even reject God and may fail to bear fruit, God does not so easily give up on us. The most notable feature of the entire parable is the way in which the owner of the vineyard displays incredible patience and persistence. He keeps on graciously reaching out to the tenants, even as his entreaties are repeatedly ignored, insulted, and rejected, and finally he sends his son. This is how God reaches out to you and me and to everyone, continually inviting us anew to live in right relationship with God, finally sending his son Jesus Christ that we may be put right with God and enabled then to bear fruit for God's kingdom today. The question for us then is how we each will respond. And this brings us to the second parable that we heard this morning, the parable of the two sons, which includes again the image of a vineyard. A father, Jesus said, had two sons and he asked them each to go work in his vineyard. The first son said, no, I will not go. But later, he changed his mind and went. The second son answered, I go, sir. But he did not, in fact, go. Which of the two, Jesus asked, did the will of his father? Notice that Jesus did not say which son made his father happy. If you were a parent and you had two kids like this, you would be aggravated with both of them. You'd be aggravated at the first for his refusal to do what was asked, even though he later did it, and you'd be aggravated at the second for promising to do something then, then failing to carry it out. The parable is thus a reminder of the continuous aggravation that God must endure when countless people either ignore God's call or honor God with their lips but fail to fulfill God's call in practice. But just as parents continue to love their children in spite of multiple aggravations, God continues to love you and me, and God continues to call us to be a part of his work in the vineyard. Here the response of the two sons is very illuminating and quite contemporary. The son who says yes sir to his father but then does not help out in the vineyard represents those who loudly profess obedience to God, but do not live out God's values in practice. In Jesus' day, this especially described many of the Jewish leaders, and it in fact describes how people have often responded to God. As the Lord said through the prophet Isaiah, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In the parable, it's significant that the son specifically addresses his father with the Greek word Kyrie, which in the parable is translated sir, but which most commonly is translated Lord. 
there's a connection between this scene and the statement of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my heavenly Father. Today in America, it is again the case that some of the people who most loudly profess allegiance to God are not actually living out God's values. Indeed, it's very easy to profess obedience to God while actually pursuing one's own agenda, like the one son in the parable. This is why it is so important that we actually respond to God's call to go work in God's vineyard and that we therefore engage in actions by which we are serving God as God calls us to serve. That means, for example, that we especially reach out to the poor, the outcasts, the marginalized, who were a focal point for Jesus. As a local church, we actually did that this past week as our youth mission team just returned last night from a week-long uh, mission of home repair ministry in the Cumberland Mountains of Tennessee, one of the poorest areas in our country. And many in our church supported that mission team through their financial donations and their prayers. We also, of course, are especially engaging today with Native American ministries, as we heard in the mission moment, whereby our church is involved with numerous ministries. Indeed, there are over 150 Native American United Methodist congregations scattered across the country, and we are engaging through these churches in ministry with people who historically have been so mistreated. It is in such ways that we authentically do the will of our Heavenly Father. In the parable, of course, is also the other son who initially says no to the father. In Jesus' day, this son would have especially represented people such as tax collectors and prostitutes. The religious leaders had written off such people as people who simply rejected God. But in the parable, this son changes his mind. The original Greek word here, metamelomai, means more than simply a changing of one's opinion. It's one of two words in the New Testament that are often translated to repent. The word indicates a reversal of life's direction, a thoroughgoing change of attitude, or we might say a change of heart. The son goes into the vineyard and fulfills the father's call. In Jesus' day, there were tax collectors like Zacchaeus, prostitutes, who in response to Jesus completely changed their life direction and began to live in faithfulness to God. The parable thus sets forth the promise that even as people may reject God, may refuse to follow God, change is always possible because God never gives up. The father in the parable never stops being the father. God's love and grace and transforming power persist. So we are invited to take our place as children in the vineyard of God who are enjoying God's everlasting abundance, who acknowledge and receive God's grace, and who then are reaching out to share God's mercies with all. Let us pray. Eternal God, your grace is abundant, marvelous, and unending. You continue to reach out to us even as we so often forget you, ignore, or stumble, and stray. Lord, you never give up on us. 
you send us your son, Jesus Christ, to bring us forgiveness, to draw us into fullness of life with you. Inspire us, O Lord, that we might indeed turn to you afresh, opening our hearts to how your redeeming spirit would work within us, leading us to walk more closely with you, empowering us for mission today, enabling us indeed to bear fruit in our time. We thank you, Lord, that you draw us in connection with one another as you draw us to yourself. You enable us together in your church to share together in growing and in doing the work in your vineyard. We pray your inspiration today as we would seek to join and, and reach out as your people. We do reach out in prayer to persons in our own fellowship who are in times of particular need. We pray especially this morning for Lois Mock, for Jessica Bennett, and for Cindy Vaughn, praying for your healing power for them and for all others dealing with times of illness. We lift up our broader uh, church family and pray especially this morning for our fellow United Methodists at the York United Methodist Church. We thank you that we can reach out in many ways in mission today. We and lift up especially our Native American United Methodists who are involved in such important ministries in, in so many places. We pray, Lord, for the empowerment of your spirit and that you would enable us to be a part of those ministries as we join together in the work of your whole church. We pray for our society, O oh Lord, in the midst of very turbulent times. We pray for your wisdom to be at work across our land. We lift up especially this morning women who are dealing with uh, troubled pregnancies, praying for the guidance of your spirit, praying, Lord, for the freedom for right choices to be made, for the discerning presence of, of your spirit in life to guide people through very difficult choices and troubling times. Lord, we know that you are with us in the midst of all of life's challenges and questions. Guide us as we look to you for your inspiration and as we open ourselves to how you are leading each one of us today. Lord, as we face challenges in, in the world, we think of challenges worldwide. We continue to pray for people in Ukraine, praying as, as they are facing such evil and such suffering. Praying, Lord, that your spirit would be with them to encourage and to strengthen as they seek to stand for freedom in their own land. In the midst of trying times, Lord, you are always with us, even as we at times drift off from your call you never stop reaching out to us with grace and we pray lord that this morning we might take hold of that grace afresh lead us as we turn to you as we answer your call as we join together as your people and lift ourselves and our lives to you in commitment and in praise in the name of jesus our lord and Savior, we pray amen thank you for listening to this edition of the united methodist church of kent sermon podcast for more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.org.